Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy. We've had a situation where President Trump claimed for months that the election was stolen and then apparently set about to do everything he could to steal it himself. Uh, And that ended up in an attack on the Capitol. Uh, Five people killed that day. Uh, That's the kind of attack that can never happen again. Our institutions held, uh, but we all have an obligation to make sure that they continue to do so uh, and and don't look past what happened on January 6th. It was, you know, just over a month ago. So there she is, Liz Cheney, the number three Republican in the House, having uh, survived uh, an attempt to remove her last week uh, from that position. We'll talk more about that later. Also censured by her own party in Wyoming for having the temerity to vote for impeachment, uh, but uh, uh, which is the subject of the day. Mike Murphy, I don't know where you've been, brother. You're, you're, you're speaking from your secret uh, undisclosed location. I've been missing you. I am on the road in beautiful New Jersey, and I got an immediate carrier pigeon alert that last week during my absence, Radio Trotsky took over, and so I've come running out of my hiding place and have recruited to help me the magnificent hack Amanda Carpenter, another another member of the conservative brigade along with myself, and uh, it's wonderful to have uh, our friend Amanda here with us today to help make sense of all this impeachment stuff and much more. It is indeed, though. You make me feel so alone here. Uh, <laughs> Good. Amanda it's also- a character builder. <laughs> Amanda, also the the author of Gaslighting America: Why We We Love When Trump Lies to Us. This was written before the the biggest lie of all, uh, yeah. Amanda, which was uh, uh, about the election. But uh, welcome, also former uh, senior communication staffer for uh, for Senator Ted Cruz, who will be front and center uh, this week. So, you guys, here we are, and and let me just say parenthetically, we're going to get to. Uh, what President Biden is doing relative to the uh, virus and his stimulus package, uh, because that actually touches people's lives. But us being hacks, uh, we probably have to deal with the politics of all of this uh, first, because we're going to be consumed by impeachment uh, again, uh, an annual event in the world of Donald Trump uh, for the next uh, for the next uh probably week or more. And I just want to tell you guys his, uh, you heard Liz Cheney. Here's what his lawyers had to say, that uh, uh, he did not direct anyone to commit unlawful actions. This was filed this morning, and he deserves no blame for the conduct of a small group of criminals. Uh, Now, I kind of remember him uh, telling those criminals how much he loved them and how special they were uh, as (laughs) the insurrection was going on. This was uh, pulled right out of the legal history books. It's the old Nuremberg defense was you did not see General Jacquem actually fire any tank rounds. You know, he was at headquarters writing in his diary that he had doubts about the whole thing. So, you know, they, 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 they've got nothing, but we're in an impeachment deal in a fact-free universe of political warpism where all the counts is running for the tall grass on the Republican side. So it's going to be a powerful case. But I think, uh, as to quote the great Al Pacino, you're out of order. This whole card's out of order. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's a lot of noise, and it'll be cynically shot down in a moment of disgrace. Amanda, you know, uh, 
the other part of their argument, and this seems to be safe harbor for Republicans who are afraid to take on Trump, is the whole thing's unconstitutional because he's not in office uh, anymore. That that's that's where that's where they're going to run to, I assume. Yeah, they're trying to disqualify it outright on process grounds, saying it's unconstitutional, even though the Senate did vote by a majority that it was constitutional. I mean, it's kind of like when you go to court and you try to get the case dismissed. If you lose that motion, you still have to show up uh, for your duty. And so they're still going to show up for their duty. They may try to hide behind that vote. They're also going to hide behind the free speech um, farce that has been laid out both by Trump's lawyers and Rand Paul and saying that essentially it's essentially the same fake defense they tried with Ukraine. So what if he did it? So what if he told these people to go fight uh, before that rally? before they stormed the Capitol. But there's there's a big difference, number one, between a football coach standing on a sideline and saying, go fight, win, and the commander-in-chief telling an armed mob who believe it they are about to embark on a mission to save the country from destruction to go fight, win. And I will go march with you on the Capitol, which is what he did. But I do hope I reading the news reports, I see the Democrats are going to make a very emotional case with a lot of video. To me, the videos of what happened that day are, are just the, the ending note because everyone keeps talking about what a crazy lie this is and how he courted all these delusional people. No, that gives him far too much credit. What Donald Trump did since before the election was deliberately maliciously, with premeditation, I'm not a lawyer, but you can apply these legal terms as they are fit, lay out a systematic case to block the certification of Joe Biden's victory, whether he did it in the media, whether he pressured local officials to do it on canvassing boards in the states, whether he worked with movement groups to block the certification of Joe Biden's victory in key swing states through the state legislatures or in Congress. At every step of the way, there was a deliberate, systematic, escalating series of actions that he engaged in that far outweighs anything he said, in my mind. Yeah, but the, uh, you know, the difference here is this isn't a trial. And in fact, 45 of the jurors have already kind of signaled where they're going, Murphy. And uh, Yeah, yeah, the Capone mob thinks that Al's getting a lousy trial here, and 45 <laughs> of them. You know, maybe there'd be a surprise because I, I think the the case presented, the videotape will be very stark. I think there'll be a reignition of some public anger. I think there will also be another wave of uh, of uh, frustration from the business community, which Republican fundraisers are already quite terrified about. Uh, and all that may pop one or two senators. But, but bottom line is this is a political maneuver, and they have decided, like politicians often do, when in doubt, do the least painful thing today in the hope to get the next week. Now, it's the same with old uh, um, oh, crazy pants. I'm blanking on her name. MGT over in the House, where they decided to kind M- of cheat. M- MTG. MTG. Why is it you know, so confusing? You know. It's hard to keep straight. Yes. Just call her the crazy lady. We know who it is. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's a three-letter name and a two-digit IQ. But nonetheless, they decided <laughs> just to, you know, she went up and did a little little routine about she was tricked by the Internet. And, you know, now they think they've handled it. Well, all this stuff is going to come back to haunt them. And that's what I'd ask you guys. After what will be a compelling TV show, the last chapter of Trump, and the Republicans vote to protect him, or the vast majority of them do, a few will 
to their credit, probably vote for impeachment. Then what's the political cost? Will this help cost the Republicans taking back the Senate in two years where they have places like uh, Pennsylvania, no easy state to defend, et cetera, et cetera? Or will it melt away into the usual pocketbook issues by next November? I mean, I guess it depends on uh, what is the goal that we're talking about here. From my seat is kind of a never Trump Republican who wants to make everyone a never again Trump Republican. I, I think it's important that even though he will claim exoneration from this case, right, because he's going to get off the hook, to publicly message as hard and loud as possible that Donald Trump is a twice impeached, one term former president who's responsible for losing the White House, the House, and the Senate. Because there is this mythology that yep. somehow Trump is the path towards Republicans winning ever again. And he's the direct path towards loserdom. And so, you know, I guess it's in the interest of Democrats to hitch as many Republicans to that Trump is losing wagon as possible. But at the same time, handcuffing them to Trump is, is perilous yeah. for democracy, as we have seen. All I, you know, and I know you guys are passionate about this, and obviously I agree with you. Uh, but the guy is sitting there with an eighty percent, eighty percent approval rating among Republicans. Three, uh, you know, seventy percent plus believe the election was illegitimate because there were there were, or or at least seventy some believe that there were improprieties in the election that cost him uh, the election. I mean, uh, Amanda, I want to ask you. I, you, it's been a long time since you spoke for Senator Cruz, but yep. put yourself back in that office now and in his head, he's been, you know, defiant on this. Um, why do guys like that, why are they, now he may be running for president again, but if, aren't, isn't the market speaking to them, the Republican market, isn't that speaking to them right now? Isn't that what's going on here? Yeah, absolutely. If, I think a lot of Republicans, such as Ted Cruz, Nikki Haley, anyone else courting the MAGA base, has looked at this and said, there's no way I can build a different coalition from what Donald Trump has built. We have to keep the crazy in my tent because they are reliable votes. To me, that signifies a total lack of imagination, a lack of real leadership, but whatever. That's that's the calculation that they have made. You must get the Trump base as it exists today in order to be successful as a Republican in the future. And knowing Cruz and just what I surmise, I think he thought he was smart enough to argue the Trump case without reaping any of the consequences, which backfired spectacularly on January 6th. Um, he and someone like Josh Hawley thought we can, we can tame that beast. We can make an argument that will allow us to satisfy their delusions, but not actually be responsible because, you know, we won't, we won't actually be successful, but we will look like a hero in their eyes and the natural heirs to the Trump base as someone who is fighting for him in Congress. That, that blew up. That was a miscalculation. I totally agree with this. They're, they're just doing the cynics, cynicism of the moment for their own interest. Though the one thing I'll say, and I, I don't know how fast it'll be, I don't know if this is the part, but the biggest mistake you can make in politics is to assume it's static, not dynamic. Yes. It changes over time. The question is the rate of change and the direction of the change. So I can't tell you that the peak Trump is going away, 
but there are some signs of some erosion in internal polling I've seen. And political parties Ooh, in the long you're term. Play, playing the old eat, in, all right, internal all right, polling hey, I've hey, seen. I don't have internal right. polling, but I saw what happened in Georgia. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> political parties don't survive by losing again and again and again and again. So we will see. But right now, that is the calculation they're making. They're looking at yesterday, assuming tomorrow will be identical, and they're being cynical about it. But David, like, you know, 2008, absolute peak power of the Democratic Party on Election Day, and you get a lot of credit for that. Two years later, massive movement, bad yeah. midterms. I get so, some credit for that, too, I guess. <laughs> well, net, net your head. But uh, it's close. It's close. But uh, net, net, net your head. Point is... The guys who are making their tomorrow bet based on yesterday, the Josh Hollies of the world, ah, I think are locking themselves into what might be a dumb place. We're going to find out. I think they're betting that however things change, that um, that the internal politics of the Republican Party isn't going to change that much. And you can't be the president unless you get nominated. And their goal is to take the first step and then the second step. The question is whether by taking that first step, even if you win, uh, whether you're completely out of the game uh, b- because of how because of how you got there. Let's listen to Rand Paul, who was on TV yeah. yesterday, and I think previewing something that we're going to hear. Uh, uh, he had a big case of what aboutism. I don't condone any of the language, and like I say, I opposed philosophically and voted against overturning the election. However, I think you're going to see the Trump defense play video of Maxine Waters telling Krog crowds to mob uh, Trump administration in restaurants and attack them. They'll probably show clips of Cory Booker saying, get up in their face of these Congress people. You'll probably see comments from Representative Omar wishing and celebrating the violence that happened to me when I had six ribs broken and part of my lung removed. I think you're going to see all of this and people are going to have to judge for themselves. Are we going to impeach and, and potentially criminally prosecute People for political speech when they get say, get up and fight for your country. Let your voices be heard. Yeah, so that sounds to me like uh, catnip for the for the for the masses uh, uh, of Republicans, and we're probably going to hear a bunch of what aboutism uh, during this week, so as to drive people to their tribal corners. Yeah, you know, and look, they it, it, it's sophism. But you can find kooky Democrat members of the House. Maxine Waters has been an embarrassment for decades, in my view, and try to say they're all the same. But, you know, this was the president, and it's not all the same. Um, so I think this is going to be quick, embar- I mean, embarrassing to the Republicans, maybe politically quite painful, and then, unfortunately, cowardice will win out in the end. Yeah, I was, uh, I was you know, critical of those who said harass people in restaurants, go to where they live, and so on. I don't think that's what... I don't think that's what you do uh, in a democracy. I'm I'm happy to say that again. That's different than the president of the United States using his office and all of the levers available to him to try and undermine an American election and confidence in an American election and our institutions leading up to inviting people to the Capitol on January 6th. You know, Amanda, you said he said to them earlier, you know, I'm, we're going to go to the Capitol and I'm going to march with you. We should point out that he then retreated to the safety of the White House and sent the mob down Pennsylvania Avenue and watched the whole thing on TV. So we can't, you know, we can't. Yeah, we can't. And one other thing that really has been undercovered before he got blasted from the Twitter universe and went down the memory hole after the violence had subsided, 
safely ensconced in the White House, as you point out, he tweeted the following. These are the things and events that happen when a sacred landslide election victory is so unceremoniously and viciously stripped away from great, great patriots who have been badly and unfairly treated for so long. Go home with love and peace. Remember this day forever. That is celebration. That is, you got what you deserved. And I don't know how you can argue, well, he was just saying something. He didn't know what happened when after the fact, he praises it. Yeah, well, they will. Uh, they, I mean, they, you know, they, you heard what they're going to argue, that he, he had no idea that these people <laughs> with, with guns and... Uh, it's with flags with my name. ...standing in front of him were when he told them to go down there and fight like to the Capitol and fight like hell, yeah. that, that they were going to actually think he meant it. Yeah, it, well, yeah, I don't think it, the the very very hardcore because I don't want to paint all Trump supporters with an unfair you know broad brush, but the 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 nut regiment that invaded they're not a gang that appreciates subtlety or subtext. However, <laughs> speaking of, I, I find big block letters, short sentences are the best. So speaking of the levers <laughs> of the presidency, President Joe Biden grabbed about the biggest lever possible on the COVID. T- How do you like this transition, David? Ching, ching. Uh, wait, wait, wait. I, don't want to make, I didn't want to make that transition yet. <laughs> yeah. Well, come on. It's not a two-hour episode. Come on. I want to get, I wanted to get off impeachment, but I do want to get, I want to get back to, uh, to, to Liz Cheney and some of mm-hmm. those who have, you know, uh, Trump used the word patriot. I don't have, I don't agree with Liz Cheney on many, many, many things, but uh, I, I, but I would call her a patriot for what she did, because to me, courage in politics is when you actually risk something for Absolutely. principle. And she she has risked something for principle. Had a weird week uh, down there in the Republican caucus in the House uh, last week because of the aforementioned uh, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, MTG, uh, you know, who who is a bona fide lunatic, uh, you know, and who had got elected to the Congress, a, a, a QAnon uh, adherent yeah, yeah. and all of that. QAnon queen. We, we uh, oh, yeah, ranking space admiral. But look, I would say it wasn't that weird. I would say she's very weird, but it was basic political ha- behavior. They got in the in the conference and the, the speaker with his famous, you know, spine of jello, Kevin McCarthy, said, hey, we're only a few seats out. Yeah, Let's not do uh, anything. Yeah, Republican let, leader, let, the uh, aspiring yeah, Republican speaker, leader, the would-be speaker. Though I think he'll get taken out in the caucus if they if they win in the midterms. But anyway. He said, hey, let's not shake the boat here. Unity. And every Paul in one of those meetings loves the unity pitch. So I don't want to fire Mary Cheney. And by the way, it's a Liz secret Cheney. ballot. Nobody, <laughs> I, you know what? I have to apologize to our listeners. I get emails on this. I always say Mary Cheney. The reason I do is Mary is a friend of mine, and she used to work with me at a, at a firm I was in for a long time, DC Navigators. I'm a big fan. So in my life, I've said Mary or Mary Cheney 10,000 times. No, don't times. worry about it. Go ahead, Bob. I said, no, no, no. I'm getting emails. We're going to clear this thing up. Michael, gonna, come on. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to clear it up, and then 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 we'll get on with it. So apologies to uh, our Congresswoman Liz Cheney, and I'm going to really try with the help of Electric Shock not to do this anymore. Liz, the, the argument Kevin McCarthy made was don't change a thing, and the Liz Cheney vote is a secret vote, wink, wink, so all yes. you cowards have a place to go. And meanwhile, uh, guess what? 
Marjorie has something to say. Marjorie, and she stood up and gave this dazed kind of thing. They clapped, and they all thought, hey, we're out of this now. Standing ovation. Yeah, very typical political behavior. Just the stakes were so high, it didn't deserve you know, a tawdry, cynical punt like that, which, by the way, won't work politically either. So Liz Cheney got uh, censured and uh, with a demand to resign by, I think, 74 of 82 or something, members of the Wyoming uh, Republican Party. She's an at-large um, uh, member of Congress out there. Um, and she appeared on television on Sunday, and she was completely unapologetic uh, and maintained her position. And I thought incredibly um, uh, eloquently. But then she, you know, and I shouldn't, I'm saying these things, I'm probably contributing to her problems. I was going to say, you and thing. all the other Republican primary voters yeah, she in should. Wyoming. Yeah, I know. But I, I say number three in the leadership, number one in courage. I totally agree. She is really putting it on the line. Listen to what she said about, because the big question is, how did it come to the fact that the Republican caucus did nothing to discipline its own member? Then Democrats in the House took uh, took action and stripped her of the committees. Remember, Republicans did this with Steve King of Iowa uh, when he said things that were Deeply, deeply offensive uh, about white yeah, supremacism. Yeah, we used to do it all the time. Handled the family business internally, but now they're afraid to. Trump, McCar- exactly, exactly. So listen, but listen to what Liz Cheney had to say about that when she was asked by uh, Chris Wallace whether you know why, why, whether the Republican caucus should have acted. But Congresswoman, your GOP caucus debated this issue and ended up giving Congresswoman Green. A standing ovation. So can you really blame Democrats for moving to act when the House Republican caucus didn't? Uh, we, we should have, Chris. This is exactly the kind of issue that we should address inside of our conference. Uh, you know, if you get into a situation where whoever has the majority in the House decides who sits on committees from both parties, you might as well not have anybody in the minority on any committees. So uh, it should not have gotten to the point that it did. I don't believe that the Democrats have any business determining who, who uh, from the Republicans sits on committees. Uh, but we should have dealt with it ourselves. So that was a real slap at McCarthy and his leadership for not for not doing anything, uh, which was really interesting to me. Yeah, we're spending a lot of time talking about Liz Cheney and Marjorie Taylor Greene, but really, Kevin McCarthy had a horrible week. I mean, listen, the the sequence of events, it kind of started out with him having to deal with Marjorie Taylor Greene and everybody realizing, oh, by the way, Kevin knew about this all along. He didn't do anything about it in her primaries and just let it continue, and now it's sitting on his lap, right? So he asked her to kind of duck down, apologize, she essentially said, screw you, um, which led to uh, Steny Hoyer saying screw you to Kevin McCarthy and calling a vote and taking it to the floor where she made that weird speech blaming other people for letting her believe things. And then she woke up the next morning and said, I'm laughing at all of you. Laughed in his face. Okay, so then fast forward to him having to fly down to Mar-a-Lago and kiss Donald Trump's ring take the picture, send out the statement saying Trump is still the leader of the party. We love you, blah, blah, blah. And then it comes to Liz Cheney, who voted to impeach. Axios reported he asked her to apologize. What'd she do? She said, screw you, and went on Fox News (laughs) Sunday and said Donald Trump is not the future of the party. It could not have been a worse week for Kevin McCarthy. I mean, Liz Cheney 
She's only number three in leadership, but she has more leadership skills than everyone there put together. She knows how to count votes. She knows how to stake out her ground. She knows how to message. When she went to the camera and said Donald Trump is responsible for provoking an attack on the U.S. Capitol to block the counting of votes, bam, that's the most succinct case I've heard anyone yeah. make. She's been she's been great. The question is, what? obviously she's acting out of principle. She's also making a political bet. Mm-hmm. That she can survive this, uh, you know. The early the early augurings are mixed for sure. Yeah, she's smarter than Matt Gates. I'm willing to say she has <laughs> more political instinct in her little <laughs> finger than Matt Gates does in his whole hair gelled head. We'll get to Gates later. I have an ottoman here that's smarter than Matt Gates. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, so the, the two things coming out of Amanda's comments, which I totally agree with. One is McCarthy is in trouble. If they fail to pick up the House, he's going to get taken out in the conference. And even if they succeed, he may be taken out. He used to be everybody's second choice for the job. Now he's everybody's fourth choice, each of the factions. So he he's in trouble, and his his technique uh, is a short-term survival method. It's, it doesn't strengthen them at all. In fact, it weakens them. Second, the idea that, that MTG is going to get better Very now— good. Yeah, I've been practicing. It's a hard one. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, it, it's um, uh, it, it's one I'm hoping to forget soon. But anyway, she's not going to get better because she's not going to shut up. She's got a whole direct mail scam going, raising money. She'll be on a world speaking tour of Crazyville's. She is going to only get louder. She's happy she doesn't have committee assignments because then there aren't any big words or charts to read. You know, she, believe me. So they haven't made this thing go away. They've just punted it and made her bigger, which is more of a problem. Okay, then let's take a break right here, and we'll be right back. You know, Gibbs, every once in a while uh, on Twitter, people will write in and say, Axe, you make me nauseous. But nausea is nothing to joke about. It's like getting stuck in the back of a car and you're kind of a little bit hemmed in and you just you get that feeling and it starts in your stomach. It's not. Yeah. A good one. And, and, and like you're on your way to something good, a, a celebration or party or something. And now you're nauseous and you can't get rid of it, except there is an answer now and it's called Relief Band. Tell us about Relief Band. Relief Band is the number one FDA cleared anti-nausea wristband that has been clinically proven to quickly relieve and effectively prevent nausea and vomiting associated with motion sickness, anxiety, migraines, hangovers, morning sickness, chemotherapy, and so much more. The product is 100% drug-free, non-drowsy, and provides all-natural relief with zero side effects, zero, for as long as needed. The technology was originally developed over 20 years ago in hospitals to relieve nausea from patients, but now through Relief Band, it's available to all of us. Here's how it works with Relief Band. It stimulates a nerve in the wrist that travels to the part of the brain that controls nausea. Then it blocks the signal your brain is sending to your stomach, telling you that you're sick. Relief Band is the only over-the-counter wearable device that has been used in hospitals and oncology clinics to treat nausea and vomiting. If you know somebody who deals with nausea, Relief Band makes a great gift. I'm telling you, Relief Band works. We know from our own experience, we sent one to our engineer who often gets nauseous during our shows, and he reports 100% cure. Don't fall for those cheap bands you see in drugstores or on your Instagram feed. All right. Right now, Relief Band has an exclusive offer just for our Hacks listeners. If you go to ReliefBand.com and use promo code 
HACKS, you'll receive 20% off plus free shipping and a no questions asked 30-day money-back guarantee. So head to ReliefBand, R-E-L-I-E-F-B-A-N-D.com and use our promo code HACKS for 20% off plus free shipping. Speaking of problems, wait. Do you want to say a word about SAS? You, you, you. Well, we were going to do it at the end of the show. So we remember the outline, oh, but no, no, we're 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 going <laughs> to jazz it up here. Okay, do it live. Uh, I'm like MTG. I don't read outlines. Yeah, you know, this is what happens when I email you at AOL. <laughs> it takes a while for. Uh, okay, SAS. There, there's okay. I'll put it this way. Let me frame it up. There's a fork in the GOP road. One thing is what Ben Sass, the senator from Nebraska, did, who's also been censored by the Nebraska censored, State yeah. Republican not, Committee. Not yet, but soon. Soon, for the second time. He was censored in the past. But he knows what all smart politicians know, which unfortunately a lot of reporters don't know, is these state central committees are meaningless. They tend to be kook brigades. They're a hobbyist club, like the model railroad collectors, and most of their fighting is about whether or not they got invited to the Christmas party, who's sitting at the head table, whether their badge at the convention is big enough. But there's a self-importance there, and they have the standing to make noise in the media. So they're after him, and he took him on with a great video that's gotten a zillion hits where he went on offense, and I think we have a little sound. I still believe, as you used to, that politics isn't about the weird worship of one dude. The party could purge Trump skeptics, but I'd like to convince you that not only is that civic cancer for the nation, it's just terrible for our party. Let's be clear. The anger in the state party has never been about me violating principle or abandoning conservative policy. I'm one of the most conservative voters in the Senate. The anger has always been simply about me not bending the knee to one guy. But my disagreements with President Trump have never been personal. They've always been about genuine affection for the constitutional order. Yeah, so that's going on offense, which is the only way to handle this. And kudos, he's writing a playbook for other Republicans who ought to follow it. Let me just say, I I put him in a group that uh, not with Liz Cheney particularly because he got very brave and outspoken after he passed his primary and uh, secured re-election for six years. So, uh, I mean, I don't in any way gainsay, you know, this. It's not easy to do what he's what he's doing. And obviously being uh, censured by your state party is uncomfortable. Um, but he's been pretty strategic. I mean, he was he would criticize Trump there here and there during the uh, run up to his reelect. But he's become very outspoken now that he's secured re-election. It strikes me as a different kind of thing. I don't know. No, no, no. I, look, he's not Cheney. There's been a little bit of cleverness by half. But if you're the ragtag uh, rebels here, we're take it. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. And, I get and it. he's not bad. And if, if a lot more senators were like Ben Sass, Trump would get impeached. Do you guys think he's running for president? I think he ought to. Amanda, I don't even have a, a, a membership card to yeah. your... <laughs> So I, you, I, I just I how would he run for president? No, I don't think he is because he's not laying any kind of groundwork with any kind of activist base. I, I don't know who he's talking to. He's writing articles for The Atlantic. He's making this video uh, rebuking his state Republican Party, which I like. But if he walks up to this ledge with the Atlantic piece that he wrote with this video and doesn't vote to impeach this time, then I, I kind of have no use for Mr. Sassy Pants. <laughs> well, you're kind of tipping your hand there. 
Um, <laughs> I would like to. I'd like, I, I would love it if he voted for impeachment. That'd be great. I'll lay some long money on Sass. He's generational. He's very smart and he's interesting. Amanda's right. He hasn't laid a lot of groundwork yet. Here's Sass's problem, which is also a blessing. I think he could win the New Hampshire primary. The question is, where can he go with that rocket fuel if South Carolina and other places in the party don't have that movement I was talking about to want a post-Trump conservative solution, which I think is possible. But I think he could definitely ante in and be an interesting early candidate. A path to the nomination will require a lot of things that happen both by him and kind mm-hmm. of to him in the environment of the primaries. And that is that that requires big changes that I know you don't think will happen, David. I think they could, but it's hard to know if they will. But he's going to have to be a lot more forthright than talking about some dude. Oh, I agree. He's got to vote now to impeach. I totally agree. Yeah. Well, You're right. I think wasn't he one of the five that voted? I think he did vote with the group that said it was constitutional. Yeah, he voted with the Romney group on the recent mm-hmm. vote. Yeah. I My guess is those five, that's Sass calling you to thank you for your, your endorsement. <laughs> now he's <Mike>. actually here. <laughs> he's prying open the liquor cabinet trying to trying to talk himself into running. I'm all yeah. here. Take Use a the couple crowbar, shots and tell us what you really think about Trump. Oh, hang on one second. probably is. Hello, call in line. <laughs> I'm doing a radio show, so can I call you later? All right, thank you. That was my bookie. I, I, had, the, I had the Chiefs. <laughs> yeah. I'm tired of Brady. I'm sorry. Yes, he's the Terminator, but I'm tired. I'm a, I'm a Kansas City guy. That's a whole nother uh, show. But uh, so President Levers of the Senate. Of the Senate. So we, we've, managed, we've, managed to, we've managed, thanks to me, to avoid for half an hour talking about the stuff that actually Well, actually, I've got to interrupt you lives. interrupting me to interrupt the show just for a second because we should do one thing before we go wrap up with the Senate. Because one path is SAS. The other path we saw in Arkansas, I believe this morning, where Tim Griffin, who was the Republican frontrunner for governor uh, in the Republican primary, until Sarah Huckabee, a esteemed fabulist, formerly of the White House press office and daughter of Governor Mike Miracle Cure Snake Oil Huckabee, jumped into the race. And now Tim Griffin's pulled out. He doesn't want to try to face Trumpism in a primary. Shame on you, Tim. But I get it. I think St. Polster visited him in a heavenly dream. And he's announced that it turns out what the people really need is for him to be attorney general. He's currently lieutenant governor. So he's had a road to Damascus conversion. And that is the other route of the Republican Party that most are taking now, which is cave to Trumpism and try to align their ambition to it. So shame on you, Tim Griffin. I'm not sending the $100 like I was going to yesterday. So this is encouraging to you how, you guys? That, means that is not a, encouraging to me. That, is, that is a sign that the French uh, army is learning German a little too quickly. <laughs> well, if you thought $100 was going to keep him in the race. <laughs> well, there was more coming, I mean, but I wanted to, I, I, was, I could smell this. I, I could see the knees knocking a little. So it might have been 500 Okay, let's take a break right here for a word from our sponsor, and we'll be right back. Speaking of people needing money, uh, the president is moving ahead. <laughs> Another segue. Uh, yeah, we, we're going to be on Tortured Transition Magazine's cover <laughs> here. President. I think this is an all-star, five-star episode. president is forging ahead with his uh, stimulus package. He met with 10 Republicans, as you know, a while back. Uh, but he's going it, to, it's pretty clear he's going to move forward through this very um, uh, technical budget reconciliation process that allows you to pass uh, this program 
with just a majority vote, likely only with Democratic votes. I think it's smart because I think ultimately Biden's going to be remembered for uh, what he does to deal with this virus and get the economy moving again, uh, not for style points. And he's actually doing it in a way that I think, I mean, he's not waving the towel in front of them, the bloody towel. He's been very uh, measured in his comments about the opposition to it. Uh, but uh, I'm interested in you, your perspective as to um, as to how he's proceeding here. Well, he's got the power and he's using it, which is normally a good rule of politics because it keeps your own troops happy. I mean, I, I personally, I, you know, people don't know what 1.9 trillion is. They know what people needing help because they've lost their jobs. Is. So that is the persuasive political message. Now, I can tell you what 1.9 trillion bucks is. It is half the cost of World War II, the entire cost of U.S. government, World War II, in inflation-adjusted dollars. So we've already spent one World War II, four trillion, a lot of which hasn't gotten out, and now we're going to add another almost two trillion to that. So maybe we'll get to two World War Twos by the end of this. I am for a smaller package designed to push out the um, vaccine faster, which is the key to a lot, and I'm for extending unemployment benefits. So I'm closer to that Republican package, maybe something a little bigger than that. And I like Romney's idea of redirecting some current, not particularly effective programs into a much bigger cash grant per child to go right at child poverty. But politically, for Biden's coalition, it's probably a win, though I will predict with my never-wrong crystal ball, the famous Florida crystal ball, uh, a year from now you're going to be seeing Republican congressional commercials all about waste and abuse in this money. You would see the tip of that iceberg in California where they found a minimum, the Democratic state government admitting this, a, mil- a minimum of $17 billion with a B dollars in unemployment claim fraud. And that's going to spread. It's going to be in more states. It's the kind of thing that will provide some political energy to the R's who, after we've had the recovery with some shamelessness, are going to pivot and, I predict, attack and have some success in the midterms on this. So um, I think it's going to be a mixed bag net-net. But from his point of view, yeah, I get why he's going big politically. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I would just say, first of all, it's interesting you use the World War II analogy. We're closing in on World War II-level casualties uh, in this virus. And uh, and I think there is a sense of urgency that people are feeling in their lives, people who've lost loved ones, uh, people who've lost their jobs, people who've lost their businesses. And, uh, you know, to me, it may be, Mike, that you're right, that there'll be these examples that Republicans can point to. But if he's able to point to, you know what, we came in, we hit it hard, we brought we brought uh, some sense of normalcy back to people's lives. We kept people from falling through the cracks. Uh, you know, uh, there is this child care piece that uh, Mitt Romney offered his own version of that would uh, uh, that that w- would afford uh, uh, people a child care allot- allotment or allowance. Uh, you know, maybe in the form of a refundable tax credit. We'll see how it, it all works out. But um, I, I think these things are going to touch people's lives in a positive way. I, I think it's a, a good play for him. But I guess my question, Amanda, is you've heard a lot of Republicans say, well, if he goes it alone here, then he's destroyed bipartisanship. And I've seen this gig before. I mean, this was uh, this play before back in 2009, you know, that Mitch McConnell was very explicit. He said, we don't want people cooperating with Obama on these big things, because if 
we do, then it, it'll show that he work, he did figure it out and he did bring bipartisanship and we're just not going to give him that. I'm not sure that's going to work here. Yeah, I tend to think that Biden gets a pass for whatever rescue he wants to do in the first few months. And he is correct to place all his energy into that. I can see Mike's argument about how Republicans could use COVID rescue waste as examples. But I think the story is going to be much more clear cut as we go into the summer once the pandemic is in our rearview mirror. And it'll just be this. Who got us into this pandemic and who got us out? Because I can be moved by the examples of waste, fraud, and abuse. But to me, that story started when Steve Mnuchin and Donald Trump just decided to shovel trillions out the door and it ended up in the hands of Kanye West and out, or what was it, Capitol Grill and all these millionaires who didn't necessarily need the money, but took it as extra investment and spending money to have around if they needed it. So that, you know, you can find that in both packages, I am sure, but it seemed a lot worse in the first one. And when we're going into the second, you know, a full year of being locked down, I, I just tend to think that people have, will give more leeway to Biden if he just wants to spend money on vaccines and unemployment. Yeah, Murphy, you know, Republicans uh, tend to become they're, they're seasonal deficit hawks. Whenever there's a Democratic <laughs> president, they get very concerned about it. Uh, but they're also, there is an appetite on both sides for infrastructure. And what, you know, Larry Summers wrote a piece last Friday, the former Treasury Secretary in the, uh, in the Clinton administration, you know, ran the NEC under Obama saying there should have been more infrastructure and tangible investments in this stimulus. Biden's obviously making a bet here, which is that there's still another turn of the wheel and that he can strike a bipartisan deal with Republicans for an infrastructure program. So is the is the impetus to uh, to sort of become, uh, re, you know, revived deficit hawks, is that greater, you think, than the desire on the part of these Republicans to want to d- deliver some infrastructure that is long overdue? Well, you're right. Everybody's a spending hypocrite. The problem is it's a totally legit issue. We're blowing the national debt up to atmospheric bigger than World War II, which was the last huge spending crisis the country had. So as hypocritical as the Republicans are, it doesn't mean it's not a legit issue. Um, I think infrastructure is attractive. I think the bigger fight on spending is what the money goes for. The Democrats like transfer payments. During a crisis like this, a lot of Republicans, including me, think it's time for some transfer payments, particularly for children in poverty. Um, Democrats think that the states that are in big fiscal trouble, particularly a lot of large blue Democratic-run states like California or your home state of Illinois with its many, many voters, um, they, they've got strains now. The Democrats would like to give them some relief. The Republicans say, and they've got an argument here that, hey, they have their own taxation power. Let them, let them raise taxes and handle their spending problem. You know, why are we Uncle McDuck to pay everything? So that's where a lot of this real fight is about, how much, what a state bailout, how big it ought to be. Uh, and that's a philosophical thing between the D's and R's. Yeah, I think infrastructure I, could get done. Yeah, well, that's the that's the issue, Amanda. Is like he is making a bet here by not including that stuff in this and treating it as a separate issue. He's going to have his build back better program coming down the pike. And can uh, you know? Do you see the, enough of a coalition coming together around that? That because he won't be able to do that with budget reconciliation. And 
uh, you know, th- there isn't an indication in the near term that they're going to do away with a filibuster. I, I guess it, it depends on what infrastructure is, right? We, we throw around this word all the time, but w- what does that actually mean? Is it going to be a vehicle for a watered-down Green New Deal and invest again in clean energy, which the Republicans will want to mobilize against? Um, or are, are we talking school? I like. It's just, I don't know what it means when we say infrastructure. Like, I think it would have been a good idea to have some kind of TVA project, a centerpiece you could look at and model on in other states, but I don't see that happening. To me, it's just a euphemism for we're going to give the states a bunch of money and make people happy to spend pork in their districts. Yeah, what it looks like, I think, is is TBD. I think what it looks yeah. like is what they're going to what they can agree to. The the country has huge infrastructure needs. I mean, we have neglected it and mm-hmm. inter- interest rates are low and there are there's a big yeah. argument. Now, just the way to get Republicans on infrastructure is to make the argument it's not a transfer payment and we're not trying to direct policy outcomes. We're going to borrow money from the Chinese of treasury bills to build infrastructure capital spending to help us compete with the Chinese. Rail, bridges, highway, uh, internet, fiber. Broadbead yeah. internet in rural areas. That is a winner. So yeah. as long as it doesn't require the township of Murphyville to switch to solar-powered you know, garbage trucks in three years, as long as it's not that, but they get a new bridge and better internet. God forbid we should do something about about climate change that is uh, melting the ice caps and burning the forests. And you 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 you've you've been inhaling some smoke out there in in California, my friend. I like warmer not, weather, not burning hot. <laughs> no, no, but but see, th- this is the this is the democratic thing though, which is let's make it a referendum on our on our cutting policy wedges. Well, yeah, that's politics. We can have that fight. But if you want the Repubs to do infrastructure, make it vanilla enough that it's capital spending for the economy and you're going to be able to unlock a bunch of money without a fight, I think. Steel and pavement and fiber. That's where compromise is going to... It'll be interesting to see if Biden can, can work that deal. All right, let's take a minute to hear from one of our esteemed sponsors. There you go, the Mike Murphy singers. Okay, hackaroos, if you have a mailbag question, send them to us. We actually read them and we're interested. We want to hear from you. So, hacksontap at gmail.com is the magic question line, hacksontap at gmail.com. And don't forget to do us a square by going on the pod platform of your choice with Apple Podcasts particularly. It's easy to do. And give us a rating. One star if you're tired of Axelrod's left-wing stuff. Zero if you're tired <laughs> of my right-wing madness. Or five if you like the show and want us to know about that. That helps us reach more people. You can also share the show with the little export box down in the lower right-hand corner of your Apple Podcast software. Now, Or, or write in Amanda Carpenter. You can write, right, you can write in Amanda Carpenter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Five stars. Uh, all that sort of thing is very helpful now to the mailbag question for you mr axelrod yeah from sean sean the quiz master here has a good one aside from mayor pete who do you see as a young rising moderate i'll repeat that moderate star in the democratic party is there anyone promising that you've heard of as being groomed to take over the current democratic (laughs) establishment there you go quick fastball Obviously, you're not familiar with the Democratic Party because there is <laughs> there is no organized establishment to groom anybody. There's no grooming going on. I don't think that happens. Um, look, 
Uh, yeah, obviously, uh, uh, now Secretary Pete uh, is, an, is an attractive public office uh, official and, and, and potential candidate of the future. But um, I, th- you know, rather than get and, and there is a whole bevy of uh, people uh, in the House, uh, young moderates who've been elected in the last few years. But look, I, I think you can get really hung up on this uh on the, these terms of, of moderate, liberal, and conservative. What I've said before and what I'll say here again is what's most important is the recognition that we are a big, diverse country and that the uh, Democratic Party can't uh, develop a stable governing coalition simply by relying on the, the, uh, the self-annihilation of the Republican Party or by relying on being islands of blue Big metropolitan islands of blue where 80% of the country in small towns and rural areas are red. There needs to be a real effort, uh, to, to, uh, to reach into those areas. And it may not be that Democrats will win, uh, you know, uh, in all of them. But you, if you, if you look at the Electoral College, if you look at the United States Senate, if Democrats want to be a governing party, they have to have a relationship with these communities, listen and work uh, with them, uh, to develop answers to the concerns that they have there. And the, the, uh, candidate who's going to succeed, candidates that are going to succeed, uh, as Joe Biden did, as frankly Barack Obama did in 2008, as Bill Clinton did in 1992, are going to be candidates who can reach into these areas and get some votes. Uh, <laughs> Democrats so, ignore him. Stick with sociology professors. You can't lose. <laughs> He's absolutely right. You know, that's my advice to anyone who's aspiring to lead in the Democratic Party. You know, think about this big, diverse country and try and find those things that we share that are concerns uh, and, and, and also uh, just listen. Uh, Democratic Party uh, has fallen into the habit of moralizing too much to people instead of listening to what's going on in their lives in some of these communities. So that will engender a lot of email, I'm sure, uh, and protest. <laughs> For we're, me. we're working a little more moralizing into the show to fend them all off. So, Amanda, we'll, we'll leave the cleanup spot for Murphy. Uh, Joe asked strategically, what does Mitch gain? I, I think that's Mitch McConnell. Again, by acquitting Trump, isn't Mitch's best bet to weaken Trump with a conviction and then fight both primary challengers and the Dems in the general with a continuous flow of corporate cash? Yes, I tend to agree. The best thing for the party would be to impeach Trump and then vote to disqualify him from ever running for office again. I mean, if you were Ted Cruz, why wouldn't you try to clear out that field? But that is not the calculation they are taking. And so why would Mitch McConnell be interested in acquitting? To this, I think you got to roll back to the Georgia races and how McConnell tried to turn this in December. Big thing that's been overlooked is how willing Republicans were to ride the big lie when it served them the purpose of campaigning to keep the Senate. Meaning Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue campaigned on the big lie in Georgia. They campaigned against the sitting governor and Georgia officials who did their duty to certify the elections. The whole Republican Party was in on that, including Mitch McConnell's uh, Senate Republican Conference. All the Senate senators went down there and campaigned on Kelly's behalf while she was also campaigning with Marjorie Taylor Greene, okay, and running around with the militia as their private security at these events. All that happened, and Mitch McConnell was in on it 
until, until the minute those senators lost their races. And then the next day he went to the Senate floor and gave his big speech before the Capitol was breached about how we really shouldn't object to what is about to happen, even though right behind his back, old Kelly was there. And the Monday before she went to a Trump rally, raised her hand up and said, I will object. It was all well and good for Mitch McConnell until he lost the Senate. And so to answer the question, I think he's interested in acquittal because it lets him off the hook. He never has to admit his guilt in the big lie that Donald Trump also peddled and was impeached for. Although he did say he has since, uh, in his own words, indicted Trump, which makes him voting to acquit Trump uh, even more unusual. But, but, but Mike, you see Mitch McConnell splitting from the vast majority of his, uh, of his minions there and voting to well, convict I, Trump? If they were his minions, they'd vote to uh, impeach Trump. Mitch would love yeah. to get rid of him. Our, our uh, writer right. Joe not, is completely right. And it is the smart move. The problem is they're all terrified of Trump primaries because, as I said earlier, they think they think politics never changes, and if they Trump can kill him in the future, that may be a bad calculation. But it's the easy, safe, warm blanket to be in right now. Now I give Mitch a little more credit. Mitch always does the brutally pragmatic thing, and in the interest of the party. And right now, if he doesn't have 17 votes to convict Trump, I'm not sure he'll cast a vote in order to get a nice editorial. Uh, from the post about his courage and still have all those problems inside the caucus as a traitor, though I'm sure in his heart he'd like to. Yeah, but he can't lead the others. Therefore, he can't. He can't right. be on the losing side of it because he wants right, to be right, the party right. leader. No, no, yeah, he's yeah, hamstrung yeah. to some extent. But if he were the dictator of the, of the Republican caucus there, they would vote to impeach Trump. Yeah. He's made that pretty clear. I think he will, he, he will weigh the wisdom of the group and then he will lead he will run out in front and lead the parade in whatever direction it's going. Um, yeah, if he can't change the direction, I just think we give him credit for trying. He's been out there. Yeah, he has. No, well there's no lately. doubt. No, and, no. and he support, it, supported you know. Mary Cheney and so on. Liz. Liz Cheney. <laughs> oh my God! Now you've got me yeah, doing I it. Put my mesmo on you. Oh, here's another one. Road to serfdom. Road to serfdom. Uh, okay. So, uh, so Evan sent a question. It was really it was addressed to me, but I think it's more properly addressed to you, mainly because you haven't had a question yet. It <laughs> says uh, you've mentioned a few times that redistricting may be a way to dilute the influence of a particularly radical politician in some areas of the country. Could you explain first where where you think re- redistricting will be most likely to occur, and second, what the mechanics are behind how redistricting works, and keep your answer brief. Mike. Impossible. That is a great question. And I'm going to be like a politician knowing the voters want better districts and ignore most of it and do what I want, which is to flip the order. Um, so just to explain redistricting a little bit, I used to live in a district in Los Angeles that was only contiguous or linked together at low tide, drawn by the famous Waxman-Berman machine of Democratic congressional fame. That's why I used to have such a big horse laugh when I think about my buddy, the great governor of Michigan, John Engler, and I trying to figure out how to redist- write a map that would redistrict Democratic Congressman Sandy Levin into Canada. Uh, or at least Lake Michigan. So what happens is the state house polls write the districts, and as you would guess, it's all highly political. And sometimes the Republicans team up to kind of screw African-American voters by packing them all into one safe Democratic district to drain those reliably Democratic votes from other districts to create a Republican district. So it's full of politics. And every once in a while, a group of reformers come along, and I've been in these groups, 
and passed redistricting reform, but often what happens is then the politicians appoint a commission of their buddies to do fair lines, which are maybe 10% more fair. The best way to do it is the way Iowa does it, the best state by far, which is they use extremely um, competent technocrats uh, to to write districts that make sense by being contiguous to the, the voters in the various metropolitan areas and kind of balanced. That is a good model for other places. What redistricting reform does is it makes more districts swing districts. It makes primary voters, be it the Trump crowd in the Republican Party or the Bernie crowd in the Democratic Party, a bit less powerful because you don't only have to worry about your primary you have to worry about your general election. We used to have a lot more competitive congressional mm-hmm. districts where swing voters counted than we do now. Getting back to that would loosen up gridlock in politics and make moderates more important in the in the debate. All right, we can have discussion about this, but we can't really because we got to get to the last call. Last call. So I mentioned Matt Gates earlier. I want you guys to hear this clip. It may be the single most offensive thing I've heard, and there are a lot of offensive clips these days, but but this is what he said after uh, the aforementioned uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene spoke to the House uh, last week and uh, acknowledged that, yes, in fact, 9-11 did happen. Let's, Let's hear what he had to say. I want to bring you back in here. First of all, just your top line reaction to that. Bravo, Marjorie Taylor Greene. That was so good, I almost had to smoke a cigarette afterwards. She was policy-focused. She was graceful. I think she pointed out the hypocrisy in the media. All right. Let me just say this. This is my only comment on this. I had a neighbor in Michigan once who said about another neighbor, if the state of Michigan was going to have an enema, the hose would go in right down there by that guy's property. And... uh that is what I say about this guy. What a flaming jerk he is. And uh, boy, I'll tell you what, if you're building a movement, I sure wouldn't want to build it around a guy like that. But uh, you, if you guys want re- any rebuttal time, you're Well, I'll, I'll use my last call to review your last call. And I give you three and a half stars because you should have said asshole. Okay. Make it a four-star right. review. He's horrible. He is an embarrassment. He's a thug. He's a fool. He's from a safe district. So the old joke that the district's so safe it could elect a box of hammers with an R on it, well, it did. <laughs> um, the, the tragic thing, for those of us who've been around Florida politics for a while, is that his father, who was a state senator, was one of the smart, good guys uh, on the Republican side. He was a good legislator, a real leader. And was a key part of a lot of the reforms we did, and so it's double hard. Well, he must have for dropped the us. kid on his head. Well, he's got a sister who's great too. Worked on the Jeb presidential campaign, so clearly, clearly, this was the demon spawn here, and it is, <laughs> it is tragic for a lot of people. And he ought to be embarrassed, but I don't think he's capable of embarrassment. Shame on Matt Gates for not the first time. Amanda, you get the last word. Yeah, just whenever I listen to him, I want to take a scalding shower of <laughs> hand sanitizer and Lysol just by listening to him speak. Yeah, <laughs> uh, he's creepy enough. He might he might like that. That's that's kind of where I'm at. There's just an immediate reaction that everything must be sanitized and boils to purge the <laughs> disgusting filth off it. 
So that's where I am. With that great imagery. I have one last thing. We have a little bit of, first for the, the Hacks on Tap trivia file, today is Michigan Day. David uh, hides out in Michigan all the time because he knows it's the greatest state. And Amanda is a daughter of Michigan, born there up in Genesee yes. County. And I, of course, am from Wayne County, the Detroit area. So Michigan rules. Finally, a sad note. We send our condolences to the family of Congressman Ron Wright of Texas in the West Texas, Abilene, Lubbock area, who was the first, I believe, member of Congress to pass away from complications of the COVID-19 virus. He had also had a long fight with cancer. We send our condolences to uh, Representative Wright's family for their loss. Absolutely. Impeachment week, we'll all be watching, and uh, we'll be back as events warrant. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. All right. See you guys. Thanks, Amanda. Thank you.